We are taking a one-week break this morning. We normally are preaching through the book of Hebrews. We are right in the middle of the series on the book of Hebrews, and we have really been enjoying seeing Jesus Christ in so many different aspects. And as Aaron and I were meeting at the retreat this past week, we decided that it would be good to take just a pause for a moment, because we're about to jump into uh, unpacking who Jesus is as a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and we're about to to, to dive into some even deeper waters, but we thought it'd be good to just pause for a week to reflect on what we've what we've heard about Jesus, what we have in Jesus. You see, sometimes in the Christian life we can get we can get kind of dull of hearing, we can get kind of laissez-faire, can't we? You ever feel like that at times? You ever feel like you know you lack passion, you lack excitement, and, and I think that. The reason for that is that sometimes what it is is we've lost sight. We've lost sight of Jesus and the great gift that we have. We've lost sight of the treasure that we have. And so we just want to take a step back this week and reflect on all those things we, we, we got to learn in Hebrews about who Jesus was. He's our great high priest. He's our prophet. He's our king. He's more faithful than Moses. He's ever faithful even when we are faithless. And so... All of those things are meant to cause something in our hearts. They're meant for us to see the treasure that we have in Jesus and to cause joy in our hearts. So we're going to take a step back and we're going to go into the book of Matthew this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46. This is God's word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that through this passage we would better understand the treasure that we have in Christ. Father, I pray that we better understand the treasure that we have in the kingdom of heaven. And I pray that we would have great, great joy. That we would want to give everything up. We would want to give it all. Lord, we want to, we want to worship you and serve you in every way that we can because of the great treasure that we have in you and the joy that we have in you. I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all the apostles of Jesus Christ, we have very good reason to believe that they were all martyred in some way. We know that James, he was killed by King Agrippa. He ordered him to be run through with a sword. Peter was crucified upside down at his own request because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way his Lord was. Paul was beheaded. James the Lesser was probably thrown from the top of the temple when he wouldn't publicly recant. The other apostles were run through with spears, crucified. They were beaten to death, were hanged. We know from the book of Acts that didn't stop because we see Stephen, one of his followers. In Acts 7, 40, 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They were hearing Stephen speaking, and it says they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was able to look up in the midst of getting stoned and have great hope. He was able to look up and see Jesus. And seeing Jesus, it gave him hope. It gave him joy in the midst of getting stoned. He was able to have a perspective. He knew he would be with Jesus. And it's been true that throughout the ages with the apostles and Stephen, Ignatius and the the next generation, and then onward, many of the disciples and followers of Jesus Christ have given up their lives holding on to the hope they have in Jesus Christ. They're willing to die because of the joy that they had. They had a superior joy. They had a superior treasure. The treasure was not in what people thought of them. The treasure is not what how they were accepted. The treasure was not in this world's rewards, but they had a greater treasure they were aware of. They had a greater joy that they were living for. They knew that giving everything up was worth it. I can't wait to go and meet them, to meet the disciples, to meet Stephen and hear the joy on their faces as they as, see the joy on their faces as they share the fact that they would do it all over again. It was all worth it. Everything was worth it for the joy of having the kingdom. You see, this is in this parable, Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see that. He's trying to get them to see and understand, and there's two parables we read at the beginning, that that the kingdom is worth it, that Giving everything up. And that's really the main idea this morning. Giving everything up. Giving everything up is worth it. For the joy of having the kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you live in the good of that? Giving everything up is worth it. Not to be depressed or out of duty. Giving everything up is worth it for the joy of having the kingdom. Giving everything up is worth it for the joy of having the kingdom. Now, before we go a little further, I want to explain a little bit of the context of the book of Matthew. We've not been in the book of Matthew. I want to explain how we got here, how Jesus got here. See, in the earlier chapters, it's clear that Jesus is God's son. He begins with an affirmation of God's own voice, speaking from heaven at Jesus' baptism, saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And and then in Matthew 7, we can see that Jesus declares openly that God is his father and that He is the Lord, and he's the one who either grants or denies entry into heaven. And then in the following chapters, Jesus does many miracles. If you haven't read the book of Matthew, I'd encourage you to do that. Read it from start to finish. It's meant to be read in one sitting. It's it's a wonderful story. And in, in in the book of Matthew, Jesus does miracles and signs and wonders, and he casts out demons, and he heals the sick of all kinds. He takes all comers, no matter what their illnesses are, no matter how incurable. The blind see, the deaf hear. He makes the paralyzed walk. He calms the very waves in the winds of a storm that threaten to drown the disciples. 
And then Jesus starts to tell the people about the kingdom of heaven that he's ushering in. About his kingdom. That they can enter into his kingdom if they rest in him. Does that sound familiar? If you've been in Hebrews, remember, resting in God is how we enter into his kingdom. Trusting in him and his works and resting from our own works. And so then we find this parable right after the parable of the sower and the seeds. He explains the three types of soil. He says the seeds that fell on the rocky ground, they spring up quickly, but they die when the sun comes out because it has no root. Then he tells the story of the seeds that fell on the thorny ground and how when they sprang up, they were choked out by the cares of the world. And then when we get to our parable, this parable about the man who finds a treasure in the field, the pearl of great price, when we get to our parable, what Jesus is doing is he's explaining what it looks like What kind of response those who are like the good soil have? What he's trying to show us is people who are good soil have this kind of response. They're willing to give everything up for the joy of heaven. Are you and I willing to give everything up? And if not, do we we see the joy of heaven? There's really two main parts to this parable. The first part we're going to look at is that the kingdom is worth giving everything up for it. It's the first point. The kingdom is worth giving everything up for it. People spend money on all kinds of things, don't they? Last month, I read about a record-breaking art sale of a painting done by a guy named Gerhard Richter. And I'm sure um, for the Germans in the audience, I'm mispronouncing that name. But uh, he, it was owned by Eric Clapton. And uh, he bought it for $2.6 million, and he sold it for $34 million. I have a picture of it, actually, for you, I think. Would, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be buying that for $34 million. It, it's, that was record-breaking art October, what people call art. It's currently the most expensive painting ever sold while the artist is still alive. At the same auction, they sold a pair of Marie Antoinette's shoes for $76,000. Cheap shoes, right? Um, they sold an Egyptian sculpture. It was 29 inches tall of the false god uh, Cyrus. It was... It was $54 million. How meaningless, right? How empty. And if you're the guy who bought that painting, after you bought it, so what? What do you have? You have nothing. What do you have, bragging rights? Who cares about that? I wouldn't brag about that ugly picture anyway. I appreciate art and beauty, but if you ask me, none of those things is really worth it. None of those things is worth giving up that much money for. I can't imagine working my whole life only to get a 29-inch sculpture of a false god. How meaningless and empty. We, we may not spend our lives in, in exaggerated ways like that, on, on fortunes, on things so grossly empty, but we can live our lives to get lesser things, can't we? Sometimes we spend our lives and all our energy and all our effort and all our focus on things that are not lasting, on things that are not eternal. And what God wants to do is turn our attention to really the eternal things, to the the real treasure. You see, this, this world can't see the treasure. It's buried at times. It's hidden from the world. It doesn't seem like a treasure. And yet God wants to show us the great treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. And He wants us to experience the joys of heaven to not be distracted by the pursuits of anything else. 
all these lesser things that in the end will be meaningless and fruitless. Your job, your title, it's not worth giving everything up for. Worldly fame, it's not worth giving everything up for it, is it? Money, even great wealth, it's not worth giving everything up for it. Jesus said in Matthew 6.19 that no earthly treasure will last. And he told them, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. No earthly treasure. The point is, no earthly treasure will last. But if we have the kingdom... If we have the Son of God, if we've, if we've received Jesus as our Savior, we have a treasure that will last forever. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Are you daily aware of that? We have a treasure that will last forever. The man who found the treasure hid in the field, he, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. What does that show us? He holds nothing back. He spares no expense. The treasure he's found is so valuable, he's willing to give up everything that he has. What's our response to the good news that we have? We have a treasure. Do we see it? Do we have joy in it? The second parable, the one who finds the great pearl, the pearl of great value, he goes and he sells all that he has and bought it. They both, sold all that they had. They completely sold themselves out. They sold themselves out in order to get the treasure in the pearl of great price. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom, it's worth everything. The kingdom, it's, it's worth everything. It's worth selling everything that we have to get it. It's worth setting all things aside. It's worth pursuing only him. It's worth us giving up our career if need be. It's worth us giving up our any other dream if need be. It's worth us giving up any relationship. Let me say as an aside to the ladies who aren't married yet that no guy who doesn't love God is worth it. Give him up and trust God instead. The kingdom of heaven is worth giving up on our own reputation. Let me be counted as a fool for believing in Jesus. But don't, don't let me be more concerned about what people think of me than being founded in Jesus, having a righteousness that's not my own. Because the kingdom of heaven is worth it. It's worth it. Any sacrifice is, is, is small. It pales in comparison. It's worth giving up convenience it's worth giving up being accepted by men to gain all the rewards of heaven. Do you see that? Do you know that? Do you live in the good of that each day? If we don't see that heaven is our true treasure, that Jesus is our great reward, then we're going to be deceived into trusting in other things. We're going to lack joy. We're going to put our confidence in things that don't last, that aren't worth it, and that will fail us and disappoint us. In Luke twelve sixteen. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, 
Kind of an odd way of speaking to yourself, but that's okay. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. Boy, that's our temptation, isn't it? Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. This, this world is not about God. It's not about his kingdom. It's about all these other things. It's about relaxation, eating, drinking, being merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The man in the parable thought that this life was all that there was and he was hoping that he could just eat, drink, and be merry and relax. That's not an uncommon desire. But he was a fool because he wasn't living for what was truly lasting. He wasn't living for what was truly worth it. He wasn't living for the kingdom of heaven. This life is not all that there is. I'm very glad about that. Amen? Jesus promises us eternal inheritance. An eternal inheritance. And if, we went, if you were with us years ago when we went through First Peter, you'll remember that eternal inheritance, it is kept in heaven. It's being guarded for us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. And if you see Christ for who He is, and I'm hoping you've been seeing Jesus for who He is as we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And the effect that that's meant to have is for us to see how valuable He is. Just how valuable He is. Just how beautiful He is. And if you value Him, if you truly see Jesus' beauty, you're going to want to follow Him. And following Jesus, it means being willing to give everything up means being willing to give everything up for him because he's more than worth the trade-off. The question is, are you? Are you willing? Are you willing to give everything up? Do you know that he's more than worth the trade-off? Sometimes we forget it, don't we? We forget that, that Jesus is worth more because we forget who he is. We forget what he's done. We forget his promises. We forget the great treasure that we found in Jesus Christ. The whole reason I want to interrupt this series on Hebrews is to take a step back to remind ourselves of what we've learned so far. What we've learned so far about Jesus should affect us. It's not just meant to be knowledge. It's meant for us to respond to the great truth of who he is and say, Jesus, I want to give everything up for you. I want to follow you with all that I am. I want to be your disciple. I want to be identified primarily by that. It's our hope that Jesus is becoming even more beautiful, precious, and valuable to you. Because he is worth giving everything up for. So our desire is you see Jesus, it'll produce a change in you and me. I'm hoping that as a church, we'll begin to see how valuable Jesus is and just how valuable the kingdom of heaven is and that we want to live for Jesus and live for the kingdom in our lives in an ever-increasing way. You see, our mission is to be disciples who grow as disciples and make disciples. If you don't understand who Jesus is, then that's meaningless to you. But if you really grasp who Jesus is, then that first part of our mission, to be disciples, you'll understand that identity affects everything that you are. It affects all that you do. It affects how you look at everybody else in the world. It affects how you treat your husband, your wife, your neighbor, your kids. It affects how you act at work. If you understand... I have the kingdom. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I have the kingdom. And giving up everything else is worth it. Living in such a way to draw attention to the glory of God is worth it. 
So often we become dull and weary and tired. We can lack passion in our lives and we can't figure out why. Let me submit to you, often it's because we don't really see Jesus for who he is. Instead we see problems and duties and chores and the cares of this world and all those things that can weigh us down and make us weary. You ever lack passion for God? A bunch of you should be nodding your heads. <laughs> you ever lack passion for giving, for serving, for sharing the gospel? I do. I think why we lack passion for these things is that we don't see the value of Jesus Christ and the value of the kingdom and we're more aware of what we are giving up than we are of the great treasure we have in Jesus that's worth giving everything up for. If we see Jesus for who he really is and understand and treasure him and his kingdom, it's going to have a a profound and a deep effect on our lives. We'll want to live for Jesus. We'll want to love Jesus. We're going to want to serve Jesus and serve his church, his body. We're going to want to give everything we have for his kingdom and we're going to be willing to give it all up because of his great value. Are you willing to give it all up for the kingdom? Are we living that way? Are we living that radical Christian lifestyle, that radical call to be disciples that says, I want to give everything up because I see that the kingdom is worth it. So how do we get the kingdom? You can't read these parables literally. It's, it's not talking about literally buying it as the two men in the parables did. Do we literally give up everything that we have? The point of the parable is not that we, we purchase the kingdom with, with money or our own goods, but the kingdom is still bought nonetheless. Listen to the prophecy of Isaiah about the kind of buying that we're talking about. Isaiah 55. It says, come. Here's the kind of buying we're called to do. Come, everyone who thirsts. You thirst this morning. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. There's an exchange that happens. Salvation, it's by grace through faith and not of any works that you should boast, but there's a transaction involved. And you see the exchange that takes place is that we must be willing to give everything up to get the kingdom of heaven. We don't earn it by our desiring, but we do receive it through faith as we're willing to to leave everything and follow Jesus. And you'll find as you do that, as you live that way, that you will experience greater and greater joy. This is what Jesus is talking about this, this willingness to, to buy the kingdom, to give everything up for the cost, the great value of having the kingdom. In Matthew ten thirty seven, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life you trying to find your life here? He says you'll lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The kingdom of heaven, it's, it's more valuable than anything in this world and it's more than worth giving everything up to get it. And what's the alternative? It's to seek the things of the world and to lose our lives. Whatever you're striving after, whatever you're struggling after, whatever you think is so important, whatever reputation or whatever people think of you, 
It's not worth it. It's like that meaningless art for $34 million that so what? In Matthew sixteen twenty six, Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If he gains the whole world and forfeits his life, or what shall a man give in return for his life? In fact, the whole theme of, of being willing to give everything up to follow Jesus, it's throughout the book of Matthew. It's throughout, throughout the whole Bible, in fact. But later, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler who was living for this world in, in Matthew 19. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect or complete, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. What was he after? What was Jesus after? Jesus was after his heart. He's after your heart. He's after my heart. And he's saying, are you willing to give everything up? Do you see how great my kingdom is? Do you see how costly? Do you see how valuable? Is this more valuable? You give everything up and I'll give you something of greater value than you could ever imagine. What do you find valuable in this world? What are you giving yourself for? Are we willing to give everything up for him? Or is there something we're still hanging on to that we think will give us life and joy? If only I have this relationship, if only I have this thing, if only I have this house or this... The problem with clinging to anyone or anything other than Jesus for our hope or our joy is that it actually robs us of true hope and joy. But there's great joy in having the kingdom. Look, look at the first parable again. There's one key phrase, one key word in that parable. It's very important. Look down your Bibles. It says, in his joy. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You see, joy was the motivation because there's great joy in having the kingdom. And that's really the second point we're going to look at from this parable is there is great joy in having the kingdom. You may not feel that way. You may be experiencing joylessness. Let me encourage you, there is great joy in having the kingdom. You just may not be seeing the kingdom for all it's worth. You may not understand what you truly have. We experience joy on a daily basis to different degrees and different intensities, from the small to the great. You know, my kids can pick up a penny and they can experience a, a measure of joy. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And that's a small joy for me. Ooh, a penny. And, but if my kids find a $20 bill, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. We can buy a pizza with that. And, and you experience different joys to different degrees. You know, you're searching for the remote and you can't find it for days. You find it in the, in the cush, seat cushion there and you're like, yeah, I found the remote. Like you've conquered something great. And you experience different kinds of joy. Um, I experienced an even higher kind of joy when um, my daughter was lost at SeaWorld and we found her again. Oh, it was only a few minutes, but I was joyful. I was joyful. After I was angry. Then I was joyful. <laughs> Joy is, is meant to be in proportion to what we have. And, and you see, I think for many of us, we don't understand the great treasure we have, so we don't have much joy in the kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven is worth more than all the riches of this world. It's worth more than all the acclaim of men. The kingdom of heaven is 
is of such greater value. So shouldn't our joy be extreme? This parable is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the Lord. It's talking about salvation. It's, it's about salvation in Jesus Christ himself. It's about the great gift of the kingdom that Jesus gives to us in salvation. And the treasure is knowing Jesus Christ and being found in him. We get to know Jesus. Man was once separated from God, had no way to come back to God. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We had no hope. We were without God in this world. We were in bondage and in slavery. But Jesus came and he's given us the kingdom. We have a treasure of being able to be found in him and have fellowship with the eternal God. The treasure of having our sovereign God love us as adopted children. We who were hated enemies are now the most beloved adopted children. The treasure is that God is now for you and not against you. Could you imagine if God was against you? You could not stand. You should have great joy just on any one of these points. God is not against you. He's for you. The treasure that we have is that we can do all things through Christ Jesus our Lord even if those things mean suffering, He's going to sustain us and keep us in His loving arms. We have a treasure that's beyond comparison and all the blessings of God are ours in Jesus Christ. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? We have a treasure in mercy unending. His mercy is new every day and we only deserve unending wrath. We get an unending mercy. We have complete and total forgiveness, not partial. Nothing's hanging over our heads anymore. That should be cause for great rejoicing. And it never will hang over our heads. We have a God who's going to redeem us from even the worst past, no matter how terrible and awful your past is. He's a God who makes all things new, and He's a God who gives us life everlasting. There's truly joy in the kingdom, isn't there? We have Jesus who will never leave us or forsake us, even if everyone else does. We have great joy in the kingdom. We have great joy in Jesus Christ. It's an important point because I think the basic desire of every human heart, every human being on the planet wants to have true joy, true True and lasting joy. And the problem is, true joy, lasting joy, it's not found anywhere here. It's not found in other things. And unfortunately, so many people never find the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. They never find the hope that we have in Christ. Everyone wants to be joyful. But true joy comes in, in discovering and buying in making the kingdom of Jesus Christ our own possession. Are you experiencing the joys of the kingdom? If not, let me encourage you to reflect on what we have, on the great treasure, the exceeding treasure that we have. And every morning as we wake up, let's meditate on the great treasure that we have in the kingdom. And that's meant to give us joy to face each and every day. Not a false joy, not a fake joy, not a joy that says, oh, it's all okay. No, a joy that says, it's not okay, but I have joy in Jesus because he's holding me. And he's sustaining me. And he's forgiven me. And he's for me. He's not against me. I'm his adopted son. That's what gives us true joy. 
There's nothing wrong with us wanting to find true joy in Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord and be glad. John 16, 22, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Isn't that good news? In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Do you know the treasures you have? Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that. Why? Jesus is all about our joy. That your joy may be full. God wants you to enjoy him by not, not being confused with placing your hope and your joy in lesser things. He wants you to experience true joy by hoping in his kingdom and hoping in his son and seeing who he is and what he's done for you. Jesus desires that our joy might be made full in him. And in John 17, 13, he says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's all about wanting us to have joy in him. Paul reiterates that the kingdom of God isn't about earthly pleasures. And he says in Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and, listen, joy in the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is meant to be a life of joy, realizing the great treasure that we have. Because the man saw this treasure in the field, in his joy he sold all that he had. In our joy, as we understand the treasure we have in Jesus, we're to give up everything that we have and joyfully live for him and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what amount of suffering, hardship, whatever I have to give up, it's more than worth it for the joy that I have in you. That was Paul's prayer at the end of Romans, in Romans fifteen thirteen. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. God means to give us hope in him. He means to give us all joy and peace in believing, it says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Why are we focusing on Hebrews as a church? We want to have hope in Jesus. We want to see Jesus and we want to give us hope in his promises. Because we need hope. We need joy that lasts. Peter, he knew too that having the kingdom of Christ brought true joy. And he said in 1 Peter 1.8, he says, Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I encourage you, there is joy for you this morning. Maybe you've been experiencing a period of dullness or dryness, heaviness in your hearts. Let me encourage you to look up to look up and see Jesus. To stop looking at your circumstances. Stop looking at your situations. Stop looking at the problems. Stop looking at what you're not getting. Stop looking at what you don't have. Stop looking at your suffering and say, Jesus, thank you that you are worth it. And he will give you joy. Inexpressible. I love Jude's prayer. I want to make that our prayer this morning as well. In Jude one twenty four, it says, Now to him who is able, listen, believe this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great 
joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Christ Jesus. And the rule of reign of Jesus, it brings joy in our lives. We can have joy knowing that He's in control. That He is working all things together for our good. Even when life's hard and when we're suffering. So the question is, do you, do we, do we have joy? If not, you can have great joy. You can know peace that will never be taken away no matter what comes. We can find joy in Christ when our desires and feelings are being ruled by other things. We can have joy in Christ by saying, you know what, I, I, want, to be, I want you to rule my feelings and my thoughts. We can find joy when Christ rules our thinking. Find joy when Christ rules our lives. When we live for the things of the world, they're, they're empty, they're meaningless, it robs us of joy. But when we're more aware of the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf, it gives us great joy. We're more aware of who He is and what He's done, of our forgiveness and the mercy and grace and unending love that we experience. If you're more aware of your own sacrifice, it will rob us of joy. If you see the great value of the kingdom, we're going to see that giving everything up, giving up our whole life to be His disciple, it's worth it for the joy of having the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The question this morning, church, is what are we living for? What are, are we living for that which truly matters? Are we giving ourselves up for the kingdom or for other things? Are we completely sold out like these two men? They completely sold out everything they had. Are we completely sold out for the kingdom? That's the kind of disciples that we want to be. We want to be known as disciples of Jesus who are sold out, who've given up everything, are willing to give up everything for the kingdom. It's interesting, the parable are two kinds of people too. There's, there's a man who stumbles across the great treasure. He, he's not looking for it. He stumbles across it in the field. He wasn't looking. And then there was the man who was looking hard. The kingdom of heaven, it's hidden. Not all people find the kingdom. Not all people are looking. Some people are, but not all are looking. But all people need to find the kingdom of heaven. So how do other people find the kingdom of heaven? They find it through you and me. We don't tell the people about Jesus Christ because it's our duty alone. We tell other people about Jesus Christ because of the joy that we have. Because we want them to know that joy too. And it's meant to affect how we live and this sold out joy for the kingdom. It's meant to affect what we do and what we spend our time and our money and our energy on. Nothing else is worth giving our lives to. But giving up everything is worth it. Do you believe that? For the joy of having the kingdom. I want to be the kind of church that gives up everything for the joy of having the kingdom. Don't you want to be a people like that? May we be known as a sacrificial people who love and serve and care and give because we have a kingdom mindset and we are full of joy in having Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is worth giving everything up for it. 
for the great joy we experience in return. Go ahead and have the band come up. Joe, if you'll come on up with the band members, that is. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would would better understand the joy that we have. If there are places where we are lacking joy, where we are discontent, where we are sad and sorrowful, where we do not have hope, God, I pray that you would give hope this morning, that you would give joy in you, knowing that you are for us and not against us, that, Lord, you will never leave us and forsake us, that you pray for us, Holy Spirit, when we're too weak and don't know what to pray, that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you. God, I pray that we would see joy and forgiveness. We would see joy and reconciliation we have for you. We would see joy that you've redeemed us. Father, I pray that you would enable us to set all those cares of the world aside and to give up everything. To be willing to say again, God, I give everything up for you for the joy of knowing Christ Jesus. May that be our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, let's stand and sing to him. Thank you.